0: Coming to you from the M M&M and Exterior Studio in Knoxville, Virginia. This is flushing it out with Samantha Spittle, the Introvert's Extrovert. She talks to people, so you don't have to. For now. Thank you for chatting today. Yeah. I'm excited. I saw Allison the other day and told her we were recording a podcast. So she was so excited for us to, to flush it out. So,
1: yeah.
0: well, I would love, um, you know, so you are Consultant Barbie over on Instagram. Mm-hmm. You are actually a doctor. You have a PhD. And so I would love to, before we jump into the neuroscience of authenticity and success, I would love for you to tell everyone who you are.
1: Sure. Um, and I can say now because people know what it means, thanks to President Joe Biden, regardless of your political standings, there was a big hubbub about her degree. So she is Dr. Biden, but it's an EDD. And so I actually have an EDD as well. The difference yes. between an EDD and a PhD is rooted to like one Latin course a number of years ago when they diverged. But the idea is that PhD folks typically do more research and EDD folks typically do more application and are working with their knowledge a little differently. So it was really interesting to watch that play out. Not that that's what you asked right. me about, but it was really interesting to watch that play oh, wow. out as someone who has explained my degree so many times to so many yes. people. Um, so that was kind of a fun connection to draw with a person that I have had respect for, for a very long time. Sonia, anyhow, yeah, I awesome. thank
0: you for addressing that, by the way, because. Of, it was just in the media. And I think it's an important thing to point out. So thank you.
1: Well, and I understand conceptually. So so the article was not appropriate. Let's start with that. But I understand conceptually that when I introduce myself or get introduced on a stage as Dr. Mikowski. assumptions are made. If I don't reference being a clinician or if I'm not speaking at a place where it would make sense that I was a clinician, the assumption is that I have a PhD. Mm-hmm. Um, And I'm hoping that that will continue to evolve and grow because it is one term that defines so many different spaces. And I recognize that that can be different. Um, Again, don't agree with how the article was framed in any way, but um, I do get that that, because I do things like neuroscience, people just assume that I'm a big research nerd, which is true, but (laughs) I um, am a practice-based, application-based doctoral human. Um, And that's why I wanted, because you are a research yeah. based nerd
0: as a self-proclaimed nerd. I am so the I'm nerdiest like, yes. nerd. I
1: so love funny. it. Cause I
0: say all this stuff, but I'm like, I can't back this up, but like, <laughs> I know I read it somewhere or I talked to someone one time about it. So I'm like, Oh yes. Yes. Dr. Eric, give me a,
1: you get to be a nerd by proxy though. That's totally, yes.
0: I love I'm it. a hardcore, hardcore nerd by proxy.
1: Love it. Love it. Um, my background is in education. What I think is really fun about my background is I started in early childhood education, and I was a preschool teacher, which is why my office looks like this. Actually, my office looks like I should still be a preschool teacher, but it turns out this is just who I am as a human. Um, You can't see this side, but same amount of colors. And I had to recently buy a secondary bulletin board because my current bulletin board is covered with no work and only pictures and pictures of my family, pictures drawn by my family, a picture that my mother-in-law had that my husband drew when he was in fourth grade. Like I have the weirdest collection of chaotic inspiration. That's awesome. But I started in education, early childhood education, preschool, uh, early childhood development, preschool, and over a series of hiccups and traumas and lots of different things. My life did what most people's life does and evolved in an unexpected collection of ping pong moments. And Mm -hmm. I moved into a master's in education in higher ed. So student affairs, administration, Collegiate student leadership development. That was the space that I went into in graduate school. And then ultimately my doctoral work is in andragogy, which is a word nobody knows. Makes me Thank really, you, you know, they, they talk all the time about how the, the elitism of creating words so that people don't know them. I, I did not create this word. So, but most of us know pedagogy, right? We've heard of this. This is how curriculum is written for K through 12. Andragogy is rooted in the idea that what you do in a second grade classroom doesn't make sense for adults. And so anagogy is the adult equivalent of pedagogy.
0: That- I need you to explain the, the, both of those words.
1: Okay. So let <laughs> to be real. It's okay. No, look, I love it. So when we are talking about developmentally, where someone is in their learning process, pedagogy is how you would design a kindergarten classroom rooted in where they are developmentally, emotionally, all those things. And so the curriculum that any educator uses is rooted in these theories of development Mm -hmm. and where their knowledge is and what they are capable of. And of course it's a spectrum um, certainly because what works for one kindergartner doesn't work for any other kindergartner. Sometimes I have a kindergartner. I'm very aware of this. Um, So the curriculum that you would design would be anchored in principles of pedagogy for K through 12. And then andragogy is that same idea, but for adults. For adults. Got it. And if you think about it, a college student, a 22 year old doesn't want to be taught the same way as a second grader. And there's theory that says that it wouldn't work even if you tried. What we also see in higher ed is that some people are still trying anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. And, or you'll see research on higher education principles or adult learning, but they will reference pedagogy. And it's like one of those things, because I know what I know, that just like the hair on the back of my neck stands up and I sort of just, I'm like, do your one extra step of research and make sure that part's right. So that is where I did my doctoral work. My dissertation was on interprofessional education in healthcare. So I was looking at how, when you go through anything in the medical space as a patient, you have a team of people that are supporting you. The physician isn't the only one you interact with. You got a nurse, you got a pharmacist, you may have a physical therapist, an occupational therapist, a social worker. There are a lot of different people in the space. Oh, that's my dog. She'll make an oh, appearance, she, I'm sure. Yeah, um, I got my two right here too. She, yes, she, this is her favorite place to be because she thinks if she sits here long enough and huffs and puffs, I'll take her on a walk, which I will, but don't tell. <laughs> so anyhow, I looked at the way that students in healthcare spaces were being taught to understand the dynamic of the roles of other people. Um, Because if you don't understand how they work, you don't know how to lean on them and draw from them. And then the healthcare process becomes really siloed Mm. and silos are not completely avoidable. It's just how to build bridges between the silos. That's what I do a lot of. And maybe that's a good segue to what I'm doing now.
0: Mm. I love that visual, the building the bridge between the silos. That's like a good way to think of just so many things in our life.
1: Well, we talk a lot in professional spaces. Now in, consult- in my life as consultant Barbie, um, I, my primary focus is helping people leverage who they are to get where they want to go. It's a really simple concept. The idea that authenticity is actually the best tool that you have once you understand how to use it. Mm. But I work with Fortune 500 companies. I work with small teams that have big dreams. I work with nonprofits who have tiny, tiny budgets. I work with academic institutions, university presidents. It kind of doesn't matter where they are because my role isn't directly related to whether or not I've ever run a Fortune 500 business. My role in their lives is related to how to be a catalyst for your own evolution and how to then coach the evolution of the people around you. Because that's the whole point. Every day above ground is an opportunity for continued growth and evolution. And I like the term evolution because, nerd alert, Mm -hmm. um, I've also done a bunch of work in the evolution of humans, or not work, research, I guess that's a better term, looking at the evolution of our human DNA. I feel like it's really important to pause here and say, I'm married to a molecular biologist, virologist. So I also have a really brilliant resource who eats dinner with me. Um, I am not a scientist in that space, but I get to pick his brain on. It's really helpful. So I'm a proximal science nerd because of him. So I get to be a proxy to proxy. Yes.
0: Proxy nerd.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. It's like you're a secondary proxy nerd.
0: Yeah, I'll take it. Once removed, yeah.
1: So when we look at the evolution of human DNA, there are some components of who we are right now today that existed in beings on the first day. Evolution is about what you keep as you move forward and what you change. Sometimes there's a forced change. Sometimes there's a selected change. But when I talk about growth, I always include that word evolution because it feels more powerful and it feels like you have permission to really change. I think sometimes Mm -hmm. growth feels like, if you think about flowers, um, when a flower grows, it doesn't ever really change. It it moves through phases, but most people wouldn't say a daffodil that you plant is anything but a daffodil when it comes up. Mm -hmm. If we only look at that growth model from that perspective of you're still going to be only this. It feels very limiting. Evolution Mm -hmm. says you can move in a lot of different directions. You can go a lot of ways. You can decide how Mm -hmm. you want to move forward. And moving forward is different than moving on. Moving on when we have a trauma, for example, a lot of times people want to move on and they want to completely let go of all the pieces of it. And I respect and understand that I've had my fair share of those types of experiences Mm -hmm. where you don't And I understand the idea of there's always a lesson to learn. But sometimes, honestly, that's not what you're looking for. You want to move on. I want to separate out. Um, We see this a lot. One of the populations I work with a lot in my volunteer space is um, recovering addicts. Mm. They want to move on. They want to cut ties completely with a part of their life. Yeah. Moving forward says Mm. there are pieces that come with you as you continue to grow and evolve. And these are not terms that anyone officially said, I made this up. This vernacular is something that I made up. Please don't try to research it or ask me to cite my sources because this is how I view it. The coolest part about authenticity is I will be genuine with my perspectives and what I've seen that is effective. And I will respect wholeheartedly everyone who encounters that and says, I don't think that makes sense. It's okay. It's okay that it doesn't make sense because it makes sense for me and it works for my clients. And so far I've had really great success with these concepts, but I recognize that I'm also not for everyone.
0: So, so funny. I posted a reel, so we're recording, you know, today, but this will air in like a month, you know, but today's reel that I posted was something that I have been doing my whole life to reduce my like anxiety in the moment. And I just recently, you know, stumbled across that it's like scientifically legit. And it's, I would, this backstory is my, BFF, you know, from childhood and we were like teenagers, yeah. she would always know when I was stressed. Cause I would go, and if you're listening to this, um, you'll hear it, but I would go sure. Like do a raspberry. And I didn't even realize I was doing it. You know, I would just do it. And she'd be like, well, obviously like, Oh, what's bothering you. I'm like, how do you know something's bothering me? You know? And it's like, Oh, and it's just something I realized I do it almost subconsciously when I'm just feeling anxious and it makes me feel better. And so me being someone who's like insecure with certain thoughts and opinions, like, well, this is what I think, you know, I think this can help you re- reduce anxiety or stress. So that I saw like the, the vagus uh, nerve, uh, if I said that right, it helps stimulate it, which helps create balance and regulate our system. And I was like, ah, boom, boom, boom. But I, you know, like having the research to back it up makes me feel better, but.
1: What One of my very favorite things, and I suspect you also have this happen as well, is because I am 37, I've been around a while. I've been doing this work for over a decade in various capacities of strategic planning and professional development and leadership development and all these things, and also had salary jobs when I wasn't in consulting. I mean, I've always done this on the side, but I ran a department for a nonprofit. I ran two different departments at universities. I was an associate dean. I did all these things. And sometimes I did these things because they sort of made sense to me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And now, and, or I had read a book and was trying to apply principles early on in my career. Now, when I read books, sometimes what happens, which is like a different kind of magic is some book tells me the thing that I've been doing for 10 years was the right choice. It's so great. I love it. I am, I'm a huge proponent. This will shock you in zero ways. I'm a huge proponent of positive psychology and the role that it can play in the development of teams, the development of individuals, all these things. And there's a book called The Happiness Advantage, and it's been around a while. Um, Are you laughing because you know this book? No, I'm laughing because
0: I just don't, I'll like, I don't know where you're going with it, but I'll like, so I just was telling someone yesterday that one of the keys like to success as far as people being like, wow, Sam, you have so much going on. I'm like, it's because I celebrate every yeah! little thing because I get a phone call from someone who wants to work with me. And I tell you, and you think I've just booked a five-year contract for $5 million. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I was just excited to actually have the conversation. Like that brought me joy. And I, so I was like,
1: Oh my God. That's, you we're know. going to be best friends for all eternity. Just so we're clear. I want to come back yeah. to the celebration in a yeah. hot minute. Let me, yeah. let me finish this really th- thought before I realize two days from now that I never finished it. Cause that's yeah, awesome. my bad. My bad. No, no, you're good. No, that was perfect. Cause I'm so excited to talk about that. Oh my gosh. I don't know where you planned for this day to go, but I, it's going, we're on it. We're it's on it. We're on it. There are no tracks and that's, we're on it. That's the most fun. It's 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 the neuroscience of
0: success and authenticity which this is all the like roundabout way yeah. of all the stuff. I feel like if it's working for you, yeah. But, like spoiler, yeah. if it's working, do it.
1: And when we get to that neuroscience piece, you're going to find out that you've been doing yourself a solid for so long and you didn't even know. So I'm about to be one of those people that gives you that high five for being yourself. It's so great. Okay. So the happiness advantage talks a lot about the role that positivity can play in your life and all these things. And in my household's, because we're both huge nerds, we have what I have dubbed unofficial marriage book club. And I'll listen to, I listen to books while I walk the dog. So I'll listen to a book. And then if I think my partner will like it, then he will listen to it. And we take turns. And he he was listening to the, I love the happiness advantage because it was a really validating text for me. It was an Mm -hmm. opportunity for me to say, oh my gosh, these things that I've been doing that I have seen working in you know, anecdotal ways and some research to, to that extent, but mostly just anecdotal, like this has been working. And, and that's what, um, it was really validating that this person who had done a ton of research and was a graduate of Harvard and super smart guy who also is really funny and doesn't take himself overly seriously, which I appreciate in nerds, um, basically wrote a book that said, Erica Mikelski, keep doing it. And so that's really what it felt like. And Dan would come home sometimes from listening to a section or he would get to work and text me. Um, sometimes he would also just voice text. We try really hard not to text while we're driving. This is important lesson. Yep, yep, yep. Um, but he has an hour commute every day. <clears throat> and he would be like, this book is you. And so it was really exciting because it was an opportunity for him to also see that what I'm doing <laughs> makes complete sense, even though he has no reason to doubt it or question it. So it's, it was just really fun. Um, and I love when that happens. At this point in my career, I love that sometimes I read something that says, hey, you were right instead of here's a new thing to try. So it's a, it's mm-hmm. nice to have that balance. In the beginning of my career, it was really overwhelming that everything was like, here's a new thing to try. Here's a new thing to try. And you sort of in mm-hmm. this a chaotic space of that. And what I have found across all professional development or self-help type books or any books, really research books, all the books um, and articles, what I have found is the authenticity piece means so much because I can't, apply certain things if they aren't part of my nature and who I am. So there are approaches that 100% do not make sense coming from me. That is why I'm Mm -hmm. not the only person in the world who does what I do. It's also why there's not only one book because everyone responds to different things. And that's why I love the authenticity piece because sometimes I get to say, you know what? I'm Mm -hmm. not for you in this approach, but I'm going to cheer for you. And I'm going to support you and I'm going to do some research to find how I can support you differently because my response or my approach is probably not the one you need. It's the same as when we, when we coach folks to find a therapist, there are lots of different approaches to therapy and some are really effective for certain people and some are not. And so the idea of being nimble and humble with your own self and your sense of awareness Authenticity for me and the reason why I named a company Strategically Authentic, for heaven's sakes, is understanding who you are in the moment, understanding who you are in the middle of the chaos, knowing that to your core and knowing how to apply that and knowing how to listen to a book or read a book and say, that works for me, that doesn't work for me, and being capable of sifting through that knowledge, not because it's hard and you don't want to do it so it doesn't work for me, but because it's not in alignment with who I am and how I approach my life and my experience. So I find that really interesting and useful. And so the happiness, of, if you are a positivity person out there in the universe and you feel like you get, you know, poo-pooed a little bit because you are an extreme optimist, first of all, come find me. I'll be your extreme optimist buddy. And second of all, Happiness Advantage is one of those books where you, you recognize that what you're doing is useful for yourself and the people around you. So that's really great. But you were just talking about celebrating. And celebrating is my favorite thing to do. Um, I'm a former competitive cheerleader. I was a collegiate cheerleading coach. Celebrating is in my soul because when we forget to celebrate, what we do is we are asking the people. So if you're leading a team and you forget to celebrate their accomplishments, even small ones, validating. We use the term validating a lot. What we're doing is we're celebrating the capacity for someone to do a thing that helps the rest of the team. Validation and celebration work in tandem. And there's a program that I built around project management. And the the fast version of the story that I tell is if we were on... I'm sorry. I talk really fast too. I'm sorry to everyone. They're going to have to listen at like 0. 0.5 speed. I know. I was like, whoa, whoa. I know. Also, yeah. the way it works around here is, I say,
0: say that again. Oh, that's fine. And I'm still thinking about something you said. And I'm a Jersey
1: girl and I talk really fast. So hold on a second. I know. If you, were, if you were a child of the eighties and you remember the micro machine commercials. Yes. That guy. That was. Yeah, I'm that guy. I remember and it's, so, I'm so excited. So there's that, but what oh, do
0: you want to go back to before I go forward? Don't ever apologize. I'm just super impressed because I love that normally I'm so, oh. <laughs> so it's awesome that I'm like, I am like, whoa, this is awesome. Because the, say that again, two things Okay. before, when you talked about the research, that is why, and i I'm sure I've said this on the podcast before, but that's why I actually kind of started the podcast because 11 years ago, when my daughter, when I was pregnant with her, I would always tell these stories about my pregnancy, TMI stories. And I, you know, people would say, you should start a blog. But I remember I even found a notebook where I wrote notes of like, well, what's the point though? Like, if I'm going to tell people that I had the worst constipation in my life, where I called it a poo gasm when I finally had it, because it was that good.
1: It's like the best way to describe that having been through two pregnancies and had a few pogasms along the way. I feel like you, there you go. Yeah. But it's like, if I'm going to put that out there to the world,
0: like why, like, I'm not looking to just embarrass myself. Like what is the real reason other than to make people laugh if I'm in conversation and it was like, and then, then of course, just 10 years of life and all of this. And with the Brene Brown stuff about the authenticity, it was like, that is what I'm doing with all these TMI stories. Like, It's lowering the defenses, creating that comfort and like making way for authentic connection. So now it's like, yes, I will be the girl that when I meet people now, it's like, you're the girl who pooped your pants. I'm like, yes, that is me. I will, if that is like, because now that is like my core values of authenticity and genuine connection. So I love what you said about the research and how the more we lean into who we are, yeah. The more we learn confirms and validates it versus having us look all over in 20 directions. So that was amazing. Loved that. So I feel like for people listening to it's the same thing. Like what is keeps confirming and validating because
1: it's it's tricky because you don't want to have such aggressive blinders that you lose opportunities Mm -hmm. to expand and back to my word that I love evolve. So who I am today, who I am today should not be who I am tomorrow because something will happen today. Either something will challenge me. Something will invite me to have a new perspective or my kids will come yesterday. So my kindergartner was teaching me. She loves the counseling component of school and she gives me life lessons. I'm too amazing. So yesterday was counseling day. And she last night, I um, shared, I haven't, I don't share my children on my public social media Mm -hmm. because my partner and I talked about it. And that is a space that we feel is right for now. Um, That may change over time, but for now, I don't. But in my personal account, I shared this video of her because she came home and last night we were in my office reading. We have two children and we take turns. So we read a whole chapter book with the first grader who's very great at reading. And then the kindergartner reads with the other parent and we, you know, alternate per book because otherwise I don't know what's happening in the chapter books. And honestly, I didn't like not knowing what had happened in the preceding chapter. Yeah. And we were like, Oh, we'll switch every night. And then both my partner and I who like to learn and pay attention are like, this is too hard. And we have to depend on a first grader to explain what happened in the last chapter. And that's not always <laughs> like so maybe, sometimes she'll be like, well, there was a purple animal. Like that was her retention or whatever stood out had nothing to do with the plot line. And I didn't know. But last night we were in here with my kindergartner. I was in here and we'd been reading and she wanted to tell me about her day instead. And I I cherish those moments and she is developmentally fine with reading. So on nights Mm -hmm. when she wants to just talk about her day, I'm there. I'm in my phone isn't even in the room when we have these evenings. Like, but I had to go grab it because last night she said, mom, do you know what we talked about today? I never know. And I never know who which teacher or which classmate it can always be anything. She said we talked about fear. And today I learned it's really important that you don't let fear get in the way. Never let fear get in way of the in the way of the important things. This is my 5-year-old. So to, today I'm a better person, I'm a different person. I have evolved from who I was yesterday because I was reminded by a 5-year-old through the lens of innocence about the role that most people let fear have that it doesn't need to have. So you continue to grow, and mm-hmm. so research can be tricky because if you create a self-help version of a self-fulfilling prophecy, and you only choose mm-hmm. books that validate confirm. who you confirm and validate. Mm-hmm. So I like those, but mm-hmm. I will tell you, I read books by authors that I definitely don't agree with, um, mm-hmm. and I still walk away with things. There's a there's a world championship poker player, Annie Dukes, who wrote a book mm-hmm. called Thinking in Bets. And one of the things she talks about is the importance of having different perspectives around it. She also was in the in the middle of finishing a PhD in mm-hmm. psychology, I think, I can't remember. She's, she needed money for her PhD and her brother was a world-class, like world champion poker player. And he oh just wow. play poker. So she left that to be, now she's a gajillionaire and does all this coaching. But she talks about how we can't make Informed decisions if we are only selecting information we agree with or align with to be in our space. Yeah. So that's why I do the
0: podcast and interviewed, love interviewing so many different people because that's funny. That's one of my other things is like it didn't feel right for me to only be in the space of like in past things, you know, to just like homogeneous or something. Is that the more scientific word? yeah. And I love the evolution. I loved your um, description earlier of the daffodil and the growth. Cause if you think it's the same thing, yeah, you know, it just gets bigger right. versus, you know, a it whole is,
1: garden. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I love that. And I'm, I love books that confirm that what I'm doing is a useful approach, but I recognize that someone else mm-hmm. will read, you know, before you send Samantha, no, and say the happiness advantage is trash and it's the worst book ever. I know that that book won't resonate with everyone. That's okay. But it is science that says the thing that I'm doing can be useful in a space. I also am, spoiler alert, an extreme extrovert. So, how some of these concepts present in me as a human is going to be different than someone who is an introvert or even just a more mild extrovert. That's yeah. the authenticity piece. Here are some things that are useful. What does it look like in your person, through your lens, and on your lips? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what I do. But when we talk about project management, back to celebration, this is the best. This is my favorite interview because we have gone more all over the place than any podcast interview I think I've done as of late. So you win. I know it wasn't a contest, but you win anyway. Um, I'll take it. When we talk about project management, I use this narrative. If I were, if we were a team and I was a supervisor and we had this vision for taking a trip and I go through all the steps and ultimately as a part of this, the the trip that we take is to Disney World. And part of the story is how we decide to get there, who rides with who, whatever, we're driving, we're stopping in these places, you do all these things. So the project is getting to Disney World. Most people get to Disney World, air quotes for those listening and not looking, uh, most people get to Disney World and don't let anyone get out of the car before they go to the next location. Celebration is getting out of the car and existing in the moment of the accomplishment. And if we don't let everyone get out of the car and exist in the moment of the accomplishment, if we don't intentionally integrate celebration into a process, we are asking everyone who participated to give less the next time.
0: Hmm. And I, how does it work when people have different levels of celebration, or how they celebrate different?
1: Fantastic question. Love that you asked it. I didn't even tell you to.: Thank you. The narrative that I share is that celebration needs to match the magnitude of the accomplishment, and it needs to honor the contributor, not the celebrator. So if you are a person who doesn't like to be recognized publicly and you do something that contributes to my team, my responsibility in supporting you, encouraging you, being your cheerleader is honoring where you are and how you want to be recognized. So I may say at a you know staff meeting, you know, we couldn't have done this without Samantha, but separately, I may say to you, either in an email or in person, Samantha, I want you to know That there was this day that I was not sure we were going to make it to the other side. And that's the day that you turn in this piece. And I don't think I could have kept going without that. So I need you to know that you really changed my ability to be invested in this project. Because if that's what you need to hear, then I need to tell you that. You need to be seen. Yeah, We talk a lot Mm -hmm. culturally, the phrase, she wants to be seen, he wants to be seen, they want to be seen. We use that phrase a lot professionally. I use that phrase a lot, but what does it mean to see someone? You need to see them as they want to be yeah. seen, not see them. Cause you have on your mm-hmm. Samantha glasses for you to mm-hmm. see me, you have to put on your Samantha glasses and then look through your Erica lens. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. Yeah. Um, I have in my house yeah. again, will not surprise anyone handheld glitter cannons, confetti shooters, Multiple. I said cannons, plural. This
0: is not. I was imagining like a t-shirt gun. No, no,
1: they're much smaller. They're these little things. My daughters can use them. Um, (laughs) Kindergarten and first grade because I was, I got a distinguished alumni award from the university that I did undergrad. And it was virtual because pandemic. My, my partner made sure that they were loaded and he sent them off. But what I didn't realize, so he sent them off while I was getting my award and then giving my speech. They set it off right away when they announced my name. I did not see behind me while I was talking to everyone in this event that he was repacking them so that my children could set them off again. So during my window of time, I was showered with confetti twice by handheld confetti cannons, which was hysterical and scared the bejesus out of me. But if I use a handheld confetti cannon for getting out of bed, for getting to school on time, for any of those things, they lose their impact. Yes. When I work on college campuses, I like to reference the obligatory pizza party. Yeah. Everything doesn't merit a pizza party. And if you use the pizza party for something that didn't merit the pizza party, then what you do is you discredit the value of that pizza party when you need it. And then if you use something for a pizza Mm -hmm. party that really merits something bigger, you dilute how people feel about their own contributions. So you have to understand your team. You have to recognize and appreciate, oh, when I cross my legs, you can see that I'm in sweatpants. Hi, all, I'm in sweatpants and a professional top. That's what happens in life. It's in neck. Um, These
0: are black pants that are from Costco yes. that look like slacks, but they are sweat like sweatpant material. Mm. I'm living the dream, guys. And I now wear them in public. I didn't think I would. But I just can't go back to. You know, now that we all wear
1: masks, no one really knows who we are. Especially if you throw in a ball cap, you can wear whatever you want in public now because nobody knows who you are. It's great. Exactly. Um, I've given. But up. celebration is about saying you did something that allowed us to reach our goal. You are part of us, and I want you to know your, con- your contribution to us, and that I saw it, that I value it, that I appreciate it. Sometimes it's, hey, you had to learn a whole new skill on this project. I appreciate your willingness to be you. And for me, my celebration always honors the authentic person. So I appreciate mm-hmm. That when we were at a meeting and it was two in the morning, Samantha, this didn't happen, but in my head it would 100% if we were in a team together. It's two in the morning. We're getting close to deadline. And in the middle of that, you reminded us of your poop the pants story because we all needed a breath. And I appreciate that you recognized and could read the room and you were willing to be yourself for us in that moment, even if it was not as professional as some of the other folks at the table were behaving, But you gave us all that relief we needed from a point of tension.
0: Man, you know me. You just hit the nail on the head with that one.
1: It's like I did my research. Mm -mm, mm -mm. I I just love paying attention to your life because it's so fun. uh,
0: uh, Thank you. I love the validation and celebration. And once again, that, so I've been saying my like mission and passion is helping people feel can I want them to feel connected and seen yeah. and everything you just said, like totally hit the nail on the head with feeling, feeling seen, you know, cause so often you, you know, there's all these narratives out there and it's like, if you're not connecting with it, it's not, it's not you. So it's like the celebration thing and all of that. It's like, well, that's great. But if it's not making that person, you know, right. Hit their buttons.
1: And it all ties into the neuroscience piece, which we haven't even talked about, but I can go for a little bit. Um, yeah. So the neuroscience of satisfaction, and when I do this keynote or when I, I have multi-day retreats rooted in these concepts, it's, it's big enough that it's really big, but you can make it pretty tight. The crux of all of it is you have four neurological channels that directly contribute to your sense of satisfaction. And the, nerd, the nerds in the neuroscience space have done all this research on mm-hmm. people's brains and what's happening and all this stuff. The research is really great, but nobody wants to read research. They want to know what the research means in their own life. So that's what I do. My, yeah. my favorite perfect. part about the work that I do is I convert nerdery into practical application for the average human being. Yay. Perfect. And I'm that average human and so lay it on me. The other thing is I don't like the phrase average human being because I've never met one. I've never yeah. met an average person. I can say in 37 and some change years, I've met an incredible amount of exceptional people who didn't realize they were exceptional.
0: Mm. Is that what being average is? Maybe. Is being average, not realizing how exceptional you are, because very uh, few realize
1: how exceptional they are? Maybe. I don't know. That's a good thought. But average from a mathematical standpoint is the middle. It is the collective, Mm -hmm. not the middle, that's the, the mean, but but the average, mean, median, mode, hello. I was like I know mean, I know that's the yeah. middle. But the average is that we take if you do the math, average is we take all of it together and divide it and say what is the general vibe. Humanity doesn't have one of those. Mm. And if it did, it would be the most awful existence for all of us. Mm. That general vibe. Authenticity says actually no one's average because that doesn't exist. Yeah, hmm. mm-hmm. I like it. I like um, it. I just made that up right now in this moment because I hadn't really thought about it, mean, I've thought about that, but I've never verbalized it. So, here we go. Exclusive That's my favorite thing about the podcast. Yeah, exclusive content. Mm-hmm. But neuroscience says you have these four channels and they all work independently of each other, which is the tricky part. That means if you're really good at one, but you're not good at any of the other ones. It's, it's the piece that explains why for some people, because the first one's very logical and I'll share that in a minute and you'll be like, oh, I'm really good at that. Most people are, as we move through, they get harder to maintain. And when I get to the second half, people realize, oh, I, I can appreciate that my sense of satisfaction about life, about my existence, about my role professionally, personally, whatever it is, is not where it could be because I don't know how to do those things or I don't put energy into it so the first one is when we have positive emotions how do we maintain them it's really simple maintenance of positivity if you're having I'm watching ted lasso like, what's that oh my gosh it's a best show we can do a whole other thing i'm doing a professional development program on leadership skills found in ted lasso this is a thing if you need an assistant for it please let me know because that's i am so. obsessed and will do a whole cry. other episode Believe T-shirt. It's well, oh, I have a but I actually bought a bunch of Ted Lasso clothes. I'm not even lying. Um, oh, I've watched the whole season one twice during. The- oh, we've done it four times. It's it's like we didn't get there until well recently, so I would say I've done it twice in a very short period of time because I was late in the game. But it's so yeah, real. it's amazing. Um, so the first one is how do you maintain positive energy? Ted Lasso reference. It's sort of that. Well, we'll get to that. Ted Lasso reference. We'll get that. We'll get there. The it comes well. It comes in the second channel. So we'll start there. Oh, first one is how do you maintain positivity? So when you're having a great morning, when you wake up feeling great, what do you choose to do to keep that momentum of positive energy? How do you continue to do that? For me, when it comes to parenting, for example, we talk a lot about what's going well or what we liked. We have a lot of conversations in the moment about things that feel good. And then sometimes we'll even say, what can we do next? And how I frame that simple question is how I am helping cultivate their first channel of satisfaction because there's a huge difference between, okay, what's next versus we've just spent three to five minutes talking about how much fun it was to make this wreath out of pom-poms and glue guns because glue guns for elementary school kids, it's like the greatest thing that ever happened. You can buy the low temp ones, they're world game changing, Mm. but we just had this thing Who do you think might like one? What do you think we can do? So, getting excited about a project and then saying, "Okay, now what should we do?" So that's inviting that positive energy to move forward onto the next project.
0: We can inviting positive energy to move forward to the next
1: project. Yeah, that's moving forward. This is that difference between moving forward and moving on. So, moving forward, what am I bringing from my current positive state into the next environment or into the next project? The next one is how do we recover from? negative emotions. I always think it's really important to highlight neuroscience doesn't say you can avoid them. It doesn't say, how do we dodge negative emotions? It says, okay, they're going to happen.
0: How do we recover?
1: What do we do with that? How do we move on, release the negative emotions? So that is a very different concept than sustaining positivity releasing negativity is different and that's where my ted lasso quote of be a goldfish kind of comes into play you gotta let it go that's what he's inviting you to do is not carry forward any of the things that you know you don't want to repeat so that second channel is Mm -hmm. when i'm struggling how do i move forward i will say that i had Mm -hmm. last week um uh, a hiccup with my own mental healthness, And I had what I call a slow burn panic attack. Mm-hmm. And for me, what that looks like is an amplified collection of anxious energy that has to go towards a project that I can vis- visually see completed, but it can't be mm-hmm. my work, even if it's doing a PowerPoint or whatever, because my, when I am in that anxious state, I cannot focus on work in a way that is useful. I'll have to go back and redo it. And I've learned this over time, but I could feel that negative emotion of, it was a mix of a couple of things that were going on in my life. And um, I was navigating some imposter syndrome a little bit. And then similarly, Mm -hmm. after I moved, it's sort of the, the spectrum of imposter syndrome is the other side of extreme imposter syndrome is. I'm really capable, but should I think I'm really capable? Am I, am I overconfident? And so I was working on something that I was, that was uh-huh. going really well, but it was out of, it was in a new direction that I've been. And I knew mm-hmm. I was going to do it really well, but then I had this moment of, am I supposed to know that? I think women do this to themselves more than men has been my experience. But, um, so when that started fueling, I am in tune enough with myself to recognize, okay, I have to step away from work. I have to step away from my computer and I have to do a thing. So I can tell you, if we had done this podcast interview last week, my office would look completely different um, because I, the bookcases used to be over here on either side of the window and that used to not have a couch there and all these. I mean, I hauled a sofa, a love seat up my stairs by myself in my slow burn panic attack because I could, it has legs. So I used the legs like handles and just like bounce it up the stairs. It was loud and obnoxious, but I did it because that's, I needed to see it through. Yeah. When I have those negative yes. emotions in that particular environment, I'm so in tune to what I need. And it's not immediate. Neuroscience doesn't mm. say you have to immediately let it go because what we forget sometimes about how our physiology mm. works is that like, think about a fight. The idea of never go to bed angry is the worst advice ever. Here's why. It's terrible advice. It's the worst. Here's why when you are in an argument with a significant other, particularly, mm-hmm. but anyone really, your adrenaline is increased. If you have ever done a physical activity, a sport of sorts, where your adrenaline is really high. I'm not a runner because I don't understand it, but I love that people love it and that's great for them. So maybe if you're a runner and you just finished a half marathon or a full marathon or an ultra marathon or whatever, you just finished a physical activity, you can't immediately go to bed. You can't immediately shut your body down because your body has to come down from those adrenaline levels. Physiologically, you can't just turn it off. So what you have to do then instead is decide what are your boundaries for a discussion or for me, like like I said, into this panic attack, when I recognize that it's happening, what mm-hmm. am I equipping myself with? What knowledge am I equipping myself with to be able to use that differently and to be able to move away from that energy and to say, okay, I hear you. I see you, mental health, but I'm not going to let you mm-hmm pull me down. I'm going to respond. One of the most useful things you can do is write a list of ways that you can counter negative emotions when you are in a positive mental state. And that's the key. Because when we're in a negative mental state, sometimes we can't see what might be useful because we're too far down that rabbit hole. So when you're having a great day, think, what about this day has made it great? And make a list. Or what in the past week, what have I done that has has really helped sustain or create positive emotions. When you make that list, I always coach clients to Mm -hmm. even break it down into time increments, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, one whole day. Because if you only have a 15-minute window Mm -hmm. and you need to take a hike because that's the only list or the only thing on your list, you're sort of stuck. Creating this toolkit for your own self of when I have negative emotions, what can I do to acknowledge them, recognize them, and then respond to them in a way that will move me in a positive direction. So that's the second neurological channel. Mm-hmm. That one's harder, yeah. but it also makes mm-hmm. sense.
0: Yes, totally.
1: The third one is the hardest and it's the one that I'm the worst at. And I always own this. I've owned this in every keynote where I've done this because I feel like being human is important. I feel like being my authentic self is important. And I tell people, this is a space that is really hard for me. Um, the third channel is about tuning out the noise. And that can mean a lot of different things. For some people, that means meditating. But it's about your ability to focus. Focus on a task or be present in a moment and to quiet all of the external chaos. And related, some of the external chaos is actually just in your own brain. So inviting your brain to stop. Um, When I was a yoga instructor, I loved teaching and I never took actual yoga classes. I only ever taught because the last part of a yoga class is always Shavasana. It is this quiet, meditative experience. When you are the instructor, you can't fully engage in that because you've got to watch time and you got to be ready for this. And if you're leading a guided meditation, you got to do these things. So it was the way that I cheated because I never had to be alone with my thoughts because I always had to keep fueling the class. So I specifically designed a relaxing experience for myself in a non-relaxing way because I didn't want the relaxing component because it meant being alone in my brain. And at that time in my life, I was not interested in that. So I legitimately cheated myself from getting the full experience of a yoga class. As a teacher, I should never admit that. But I feel like it's fair to say, like, that's literally why I did it. Yeah because I loved yoga. I loved the classes, but I hated the end because I was not in a place where I was comfortable or confident in myself in ways that were useful. And so imposter syndrome and loud noise and self-hate would always come up at the end of a yoga class every single time. So when I started teaching, I got rid of all those things. Turns out that wasn't the right choice, but it worked for me at the time. (laughs) And it works for you to admit it now,
0: because that's the thing is how much, you know, how much are we doing that we think is good, but is not getting to the real.
1: Well, and I think I even knew at the time that it wasn't right. Yeah, but, it was but what I, didn't realize, yeah. I didn't realize at the time that I was shortchanging my ability to have satisfaction from this neuroscience mm. lens. So when, this, when I started doing this research, I honestly, I was not in my relationship with my partner when I was teaching yoga really. And so when I told him the story about how and why I taught, and then I told him about this research, he's like, oh yeah, you didn't do it right. You're right. I did it. I'm trying now. So there's a book called meditation for fidgety skeptics Mm. that a lot of folks I know have benefited from because the idea of meditation immediately transports them to a mountainside with quiet bells and the sound of nature and all that. And the idea of doing that right now immediately increases my anxiety, even though I've said this to many people, many times, it's Mm. just, that is not for me. Yeah, relaxing or calming, but the point is when you can bring down some of those levels of intensity mm-hmm. that you're not choosing. Bring down the levels of intensity
0: that you're not choosing.
1: Yeah. Other pe- I mean, other things are contributing to your, mm-hmm. your chaos. So yeah. when you start to learn how to tune out that noise, the opinions of others, even if it's just for a moment. Yeah. When I'm working on a new keynote or when I'm doing something, I have to invite my brain to focus on this one task and shut all the doors to all of the outside.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So learning how to focus, learning how to take a calming walk, learning how to do there, are, it looks different for a lot of different people. So if you're listening, I don't want you to think you have to become a meditator or go to yoga and do it the right way. Although you should, cause it's really great. I love it now. I had to take a six week. I took a, it was for pain
0: management, but it was meditative, a meditative yoga, something mm-hmm. I can't, all of a sudden the name just lost me, but I'm so grateful for it. Cause I feel like it taught me how to calm my brain, my mind. And now, you know, it took literally like a six week, two hours a week, like learning how to do this, but now I can do it. And it wasn't like, oh, I can never shut. I used to think it was like a badge of honor, um, to like never shut off your brain, just to always have thoughts. And we even did this activity where it was look out the window and come up with a story of something. And so of course I like do it and, I'm thinking and she says, okay, now do it without thinking of anything. And you were supposed to notice the difference in how you felt. And what's funny is when I came out of the first thing where i had come up with the story, I was so impressed, like patting myself on the back, like, oh my gosh, I thought of a story like that, you know, a story from my life. I connected it, the snow, it made me think of this and my brain. And like, I just had a whole movie play out in my head and here, you know, I thought I succeeded at the task
1: Yeah.
0: and that was to show how anxious my thoughts were and then when I just kept pushing them away, and I mean, this was like week four of the week six or something. So it took that long to even just get to the ability to be able to push, you know, the thoughts away and just let them flow through. And, but now I'm like, thank goodness I did that class. Cause now I can actually take a breath.
1: <sighs> well, and here's another layer of, I think sometimes people are surprised that someone who presents as a person like me, who's loud and I think I'm a physical representation of chaos, but like good chaos, but chaos nonetheless um, would love the idea of moving towards this completely opposite of my general demeanor. But here's the, here's the piece that helps sometimes connect the value of it. So your prefrontal cortex is your thinking brain. It is the brain that you want to engage when you are making rational decisions and when you are making Plans and doing all these things. The problem is your prefrontal cortex can only hold about seven thoughts at a time, give or take two, is what they say. So five to nine. So if of my nine maximum thoughts, seven of them are noise from other people, I can't make good decisions. Hmm. I can't be engaged in my work fully if I'm wasting all of those tracks with runners that aren't me.
0: Hmm. That's good.
1: So learning to tune out that noise is how you keep the prefrontal cortex engaged and and before you switch to your amygdala, which is your emotional brain. And that's not where you should make decisions, but that's where most of us do because it's faster. So that's the thing that's really annoying is your emotional brain scientifically is faster. It's faster at making decisions. It works faster. That's why we make irrational, knee-jerk decisions because that piece of our brain works. It clicks faster. It makes decisions quicker. So if we want to use the part of our brain that makes the most sound decisions yes. we have to give it the opportunity to have the time and to have all of that mental energy so good so good all right what's that last track now this one will blow your mind i'm ready because it has very little to do with with like all the other pieces make sense And I think this piece doesn't make as much sense until you flush it out.
0: Yes. Look
1: at me. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Playing ball. (laughs) The last neurological channel is. Doing acts of service for other people without expecting recognition. So it's the idea that you are a good human and that you are an engaged human who's positively impacting the lives of other humans simply because you are in their proxy. Yes. It is the idea that when you're above ground, you get to make the life of someone else above ground easier, better, more positive. So this neurological channel says if every time you do something good, you post about it, you're already getting that neurological reward because you're getting the likes or the whatever. And that's the dopamine cycle. And we don't have time to go into that, but yes. that's what people do. Yes, And that's the reward that they're craving.
0: The likes and the follows. And the, if I'm only doing this to get the likes, then.
1: If, if you get the likes and follows, then you don't actually get the long-term satisfaction, which has a different depth. So I sometimes will share when I do acts of kindness, random acts, those kinds of things, because either I involve my kids or it's something that maybe not everyone has thought of to do. So occasionally I will share those acts of kindness or generosity yeah. because I think people need a reminder, oh, I don't have a million dollars. How can I make an impact? Or, oh, I don't have a lot of time. How can I make an impact? So sometimes when I do that, I'll, I'll share those things as a reminder that there are lots of different yeah. ways to positively impact the lives of people around you. But when I do that, I have to do it knowing that by sharing that act, I will not get any long-term benefit in my sense of satisfaction. So it like negates it? Pretty much, yeah. Because the reward is external then. And satisfaction is actually an internal thing. Oh. You cannot... So here's here's the overarching theme, listeners and friends. You cannot seek satisfaction from external sources. You cannot
0: seek satisfaction from external sources. It won't work.
1: So good. What you can get from external sources is pleasure, but pleasure ends at the completion of the act or shortly thereafter. Think of the best meal you've ever had. Mm -hmm. It was really good in that moment. And maybe for a day or two afterward, you thought about it. But today, in this moment, unless that meal was yesterday, it has zero impact on you. That's pleasure.
0: Man, it's
1: not satisfaction. Erica, will you come back so we can flush it out
0: more? Because we just yes. scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. So good. Yes, I absolutely
1: will. Um, I love this stuff. I love that it is. It is a scientific way to once again tell people the things that they notice that work well in their lives are probably because they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. And the struggles that they have are probably because they haven't ever thought to approach them a different way. That's not to say that maintaining positive emotions and responding to negative emotions doesn't sometimes have a very specific and intentional mental health level and all those things. So this isn't to say that if you can just do these four things, you don't need... Look, one of my favorite stickers, I don't have it, I don't know where I put it, uh, it's somewhere, says if you can't make your own serotonin, store-bought's fine. Mm -hmm. So this isn't saying if you do these things, you don't need support from other spaces. I want to be very clear about that. I think that everyone should have a therapist. I think when you turn 16, you should get a driver's license and a therapist. Um, Some people need it way earlier than that, but that should be the latest point in life in which you start a relationship with a therapist. But these things are a framework so that on any given day, when you feel like self-doubt is creeping in, or when you feel like some of that like heaviness of just, I don't know if I have a purpose. I don't know if I have a place. I don't know if I've done anything right. When you start to feel some of those heaviness emotions, you can lean on these neurological channels to shift the dynamic back into deepening your sense of satisfaction instead. Incredible. Incredible. Or you can just come follow me on Instagram and I'll fill your life with cheerleading nonsense because that's really what I do. I'm just, if you need colors in your feed, I'm probably the person to follow because it's usually loud, glittery glasses, lipstick, and earrings. That's what I love it.
0: Consultant Barbie. Well, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your passion, your excitement. I'm so grateful. I'm so glad we got to cross paths and continue to, I will look forward to continue to follow you and connect on all of this. Cause I love it. Also, if people want to get in touch with you, of course I said consultant Barbie on Instagram, how else can they get in, t- in touch with you?
1: That's the best place because here shortly, I'll have a website that's launching. It's just not ready yet. So I would say Instagram is the best place. Plus it's the best place. If you don't ever want to directly interact with me to get some of this insight. Cause I'm a big fan of sharing free content. I don't think that anything I have is so important that you have to buy it from me because I'd rather see you succeed, even if I never know about it. So, I mean, Instagram is really the place where I'm trying to give everyone these concepts and ideas, not just on, on satisfaction on a lot of different things. So it's a, it's a great resource. And for now, probably the best place to find me. Awesome. Well,
0: I love your uh, views with authenticity and satisfaction and all of it. I love how it just is also connected. So thank you for sharing your self-proclaimed nerd passion with me and everyone. And I can't wait to flush it out more with you. And that's a wrap for now. Thanks for listening to flushing it out with Samantha Spittle. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. For all things flushing, visit our website at flushingitout.com. This has been a Spitfire production. That was the greatest thing I've ever heard.